good morning and welcome to Soul City Church. How y'all doing this morning? Doing all right? For those of you who are gathered here in this room, those of you who are gathered in several other overflow spaces throughout this church, those of you watching online or listening later, I'm so, so, so glad that you are here. My name is Jarrett Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Soul City Church. And uh, we've been away for a bit as a family, on a little family break, and it is so good to be back with y'all. We had a great time away. It was restful. It was refilling. It was so, so, so good for us. But we were really excited to be back here and to be uh, with you all. Uh, we are kicking off a brand new teaching series, and I love when we do this. We're going to be looking at the next couple weeks in September at one particular character, one story, one life in the Old Testament, and it's the character Joseph. We're going to look at his life uh, through the lens of our own life and consider what God might want to say to us through him. And there's so much that we can learn from him. This is such an amazing kind of action-packed story. So I want to say up front, you don't want to miss a week. So make sure you make plans to be here over the next couple of weeks. I can't wait to see how God speaks to you and God grows and transforms you through the life of Joseph. Now, I want you to think back to this last week, if you would, for a moment, as we begin and kick off this series. I want you to think back a week. I want you to remember back to the beginning of last week. So try and do that. If you, like it started with burgers and brats and bags and you were doing all that on Monday. Remember that? And then you actually had to like wake up and say that summer was over and go back to work and do all that stuff. For many of you, maybe your kids started school this last week. And so the reality and the rhythm of all that hits you. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider this last week. And I, if you had to kind of rate this last week with a thumbs up or a thumbs down as to whether or not you knew that God was with you this last week, what would you say? If you had to kind of thumbs up, yeah, go, it's okay, go ahead and vote. It's, no, yeah, thumbs up, thumbs down. If you knew, a lot of you kind of doing in the middle, like, okay, great, because you can't pick, a, okay, that's okay. It's all right, it's all right, it's okay. For many of us, I think it kind of, you know, from week to week or even from moment to moment, it can change as to whether or not we're sure that God is with us or we're not so sure if God is with us, given our circumstances or what's actually going on around us. Maybe at work, you know, that's one where you're like, I am so sure God's with me. Or maybe you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know at work. I, I'm not sure. I don't even know if I tune in to whether or not God is with me. Maybe at home for you, you know, there's some stuff going on in your home where you're like, I don't know if God's there. I don't know what's going to happen. As you sit in traffic, you wonder, is there a God? <laughs> and if so, how could he allow this to happen? Think back on this last week, what would you say? I, I mentioned that we were, um, we were away for a bit as a family. One of the fun things we got to do together is we rented an RV and we got to drive around Northern California and go to some national parks and we'd never done that before. Anyone here ever done like an RV trip before? Awesome, so the seven of us can talk afterwards. <laughs> And uh, it was such a blast for our kids. But one of the things that was so amazing was we went to Yosemite. Okay, now, anyone ever been to Yosemite before? Whole, and how did you go there and then live here afterwards? How is that? How, why are you here if you've been there? So beautiful. And so we got to ride bikes through the valley floor. And we did this awesome kind of bike ride with our kids. And there we are. I mean, we're standing in the middle of one of the most beautiful places in the world, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, we have, you know, El Capitan over here. We have the Bridal Veil Falls. We're standing in the meadow, literally on our bike ride. Deer just kind of walked in front of us across the path. That was normal to us while we were in Yosemite. Birds landed on our shoulder and sang songs to us <laughs> about God's goodness. Okay, so as we're standing in Yosemite, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down moment as to whether God was with us? Yeah, that's a no-brainer. Like just looking around, maybe you've been in creation or you've been surrounded by that where you go, oh, God is so good. 
And I may not have all of life's questions figured out and all that stuff, but I know God is here right now in this moment. I bet you've had those kind of moments. Now, I mentioned we uh, rented an RV. And so the next day when we left Yosemite and I had to undo and clean out the septic tank, I'm not going to put pictures up. I'm not going to go into specifics. And I'm out there doing something I'd never done before that's not necessarily easy to you. And just please understand me, you don't want to do it wrong. That's all I want to say about that. What do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down moment in that moment? Not as beautiful as the day before in that moment, having to do that, right? And that's kind of how life goes. We have moments, maybe we're like, oh yeah, God is with me. And then we go, I don't even know. I don't know where God's at. I don't even know. Maybe for you, it's I don't even know if there is a God. Given kind of some of my past experiences and my current circumstances, I don't know. What would you say? Is God with you? Do you know that? And so the question I want us to consider as you think about your life through the lens of the life of Joseph is this, what, what would you do? Like, what would be different? What would you do if you knew that God was with you? How would you walk into this week differently if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt God was with you? How would you walk into a difficult conversation that maybe you need to have? How would you face maybe an uncertain future? There's a job change coming. There's a move coming. There's a breakup that's happened or is on the horizon. You can kind of feel it. How, what would you do if you, just, if you knew, no matter what your circumstance, God is with you? And he actually brought you to this very moment. And he's with you in every moment. What would you do if you knew God was with you? Well, that's what we're going to look at as we look at the life of Joseph. Consider that together. So if you would, please grab a Bible and turn to Genesis 37. Uh, Genesis 37 can be found on page 27 in the gray Bibles in your seat back. So would you please grab a Bible, grab a pen. We want everyone to be able to kind of have the story in front of them to be able to take notes. Grab a Bible, grab a pen. Genesis 37, page 27, all the way to the left in the Gray Bibles. Uh, let me give you a little context as to where we're at in the story. We're in the Old Testament, so this is uh, that Joseph, not the one we talked about at Christmas that was, you know, married to Mary. This is Joseph in the Old Testament, and he's actually the great-grandson of Abraham, one of the biggest figures in the Old Testament, a father of faith. Uh, he's the great-grandson of Abraham, and he was actually the son of Jacob, Jacob was his father. Now, Jacob had 12 sons and at least one daughter that we know of. Raise your hands if you came from a big family. Raise your hands if you came from a big family. Raise your hand if you came from a bigger family than that. That's a lot. That's like a baker's dozen worth of kids that we know of. A lot of kids. And the text tells us that in that, I mean, can you imagine, just think about that, that many kids plus, like every meal would be like organizing a family reunion. I mean, it's a massive amount of people, right? But in that family, the text tells us that Jacob loved Joseph more than all of the other kids, more than all of his other siblings, which is saying a lot because there were so many of them. Jacob, his father, loved Joseph, his son, more than any of them. And in fact, he even gave Joseph a special gift. He made him actually a very special gift to signify his love and favoritism. Does anyone know what the gift is that Jacob gave to his son Joseph to set him apart? Anyone know? Oh, look, okay, y'all. All right. Y'all been to some musicals or read your Bible. I'm not sure, but we'll take it. Okay. Yeah, he gave him a coat of many colors. He gave him this ornate, expensive coat that really was a significant gift to give to him, but it also said a lot to his brothers around him. And all my studying and preparing 
uh, for our time together this week and the next couple weeks, I found actually one of the most, uh, what they think to be one of the most original ancient artist renderings of what that coat must have looked like. And I want you just to have context to understand how beautiful it was. So I brought a picture of uh, that. that, So that, I just want you to have that in mind. Probably what, no, it probably looked nothing like that. So get that image out of your mind, if you would, please. And what we're going to do is look at the life of Joseph as it appears in the text. Uh, And so you can look at verse two. We're going to look at Joseph. He's one of the youngest brothers of all of his brothers. And there's already tension in the family, as you can imagine. So Genesis 37 verse two says this, Joseph, a young man of 17. So this is very young when he starts our story, younger than a lot of us in this room are listening right now. Joseph, a young man of 17, was sending flocks with his brother, caring for sheep with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. So that was a thing. And he brought their father a bad report about them. So there's already tension. And so now he's bringing a bad report about his brothers to his father. And so I don't know if he's tattling on them. I don't know if they actually, we don't know what they did, but he is reporting on it back to his father. Now it says this in verse three, now Israel, which is another name for Jacob. So Jacob and Israel, same person. So you could basically say, now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age. And he made an ornate robe for him. We've already mentioned that. Verse four, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they what? They they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So you're getting some of the family dynamics going on in the story already, right out the gate. Well, Joseph is about to kind of stir that simmering sibling stew here with something that's about to happen in verse five. We'll see this. It says this, Genesis 37, verse five, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Now, what dream could possibly do that? Well, let's look at what he dreamed. Verse six, he said to them, Hey guys, listen to this dream I had. You're trying to imagine a 17 year old talking to his older brothers. You're not going to believe this dream. We were all out binding sheaves of grain. So gathering up, you know, kind of bushels of grain out the field when suddenly my sheave, my bushel of grain rose and stood upright while yours actually gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Can you believe that? Go figure. That's what we see Joseph doing in this moment, saying, hey, I had this crazy dream about you guys basically bowing down to me. Now, I want to believe that given the fact that Joseph was 17, he was just acting 17 and was kind of just acting clueless to some of these family dynamics. We're not totally sure what his motivation was for sharing this dream or this vision with his brothers, but he did nonetheless, and it did not go over that well as you might imagine. Verse eight, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us, like rule over us? Will you actually rule us, little brother? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. So they already hate him because Jacob loves him more than them. Then he comes in with the dream and says, you're not gonna believe this, guys. Crazy thing happened last night. I dreamed that you all would bow down to me one day. Now they hate it as if they couldn't hate him anymore. Now they hate him even more. Verse nine, it only gets better from there. (laughs) Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Pause in the text right now. Joseph needs to like learn what it means to read a room. (laughs) 
right? Because maybe not the time to go, you are not gonna believe it. I had another dream. I can't wait to tell you all about it. And that's exactly what he does. He says, listen, I had another dream. And this time, the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And you can imagine his brothers in that moment going, one, two, three, four, five. Wait a second. And realize, and this is a very specific thing that directly relates to him and to them. And when he told his father, verse 10, as well as his brother, his father rebuked him and said, what? What? What is this dream you had? What? So, so wait, Joseph, you're telling me that your mother and I and your brothers are actually going to come and bow down on the ground before you? Are you kidding me, son? Look, you're my favorite, but that's pushing it. That's going a little too far. Verse 11, his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, what's really interesting is you're going to see over the next couple of weeks, this is a metaphor, an image, a dream that God is giving to Joseph that absolutely to the letter comes to pass. Many, many, many years later, many years later, but exactly what he dreamed, what God gave him in this dream came to pass in reality. But this is a very pivotal moment and I wanna hit pause right here and speak to something bigger than sort of the sibling rivalry stuff that's going on right here real quick. God is actually speaking to Joseph. Like, God is speaking to Joseph through these dreams. He's giving him vision and, and, and dreams. God is giving him a glimpse of something that's actually going to become a reality, as we'll see as the story continues. But it starts with a dream, as it always does. It starts with a dream. And this is one of the ways that God actually speaks to us. He speaks to us through dreams, through visions. Now, God speaks through his word. God speaks through people teaching his word, us hearing his word. God speaks through godly wisdom. God speaks through creation and nature like I talked about in Yosemite. God speaks through all of those things. But one of the ways that God actually speaks to us and is able to sort of wake us up is by giving us dreams. Isn't that interesting? He gives us dreams and visions. And we see this all throughout the Bible. Abraham, his great-grandfather, was promised by God to be the father of nations. And God gave him a vision that his ancestors would be more than the sands in the desert. His very father, Jacob, which makes me wonder why he, that verse ends with him keeping this matter in mind. Remember that a second ago? Because Jacob himself, at one of the lowest points in his life, had a dream about a ladder extending to heaven and angels surrounding that. And it was an invitation from God to him of restoration in his life and a greater purpose for his life. The other Joseph in the Bible, we see at the beginning of the New Testament, had a dream where he had an angel speak to him in a dream, convincing him not to divorce Mary that he was thinking about doing, but to stay with her and marry her because she was about to give birth to the Savior of the world. Peter, one of the early great leaders of the church, thought that the church was actually all supposed to be for one particular group of people, can you imagine? And God gives him a dream, speaks to him in a dream, and says, no, this is for all people. The table is set for everyone. 
Then you get all the way to the end of the Bible and you read the book of Revelation. If you get there, you see that God gives John a great dream, a great vision, giving greater context for the events of his day and kind of giving a bigger picture for what God was doing. But he did it through images. He did it through dreams. See, we see that throughout the Bible that dreams are one of the ways that God gets our attention to give us vision. That's how he gets our attention to give us vision. God gives dreams. Now listen to this. God gives dreams to help see what can't be seen. God gives dreams to help see, to help us see what actually can't be seen. What our fear tends to blind us to, what our circumstances tend to distract us from. God gives us dreams and gives us visions, even pictures or images at times, to help us see what we can't see with our physical eyes. Isn't it interesting, listen to this, isn't it interesting that the only way for you to dream is to close your eyes? You have to close your eyes to the world around you. Now, some of you are are working on that right now. You're very spiritual people. I respect that about you. But you can't dream without closing your eyes to what you see in front of you. And many times God has to close our eyes to the things around us so that we can see what he sees. 2 Corinthians 6 or 5, 7 says that we live by faith, not by sight. And so sometimes, sometimes God speaks to us in dreams like he's doing with Joseph right now. You know, I want you to look around you right now, whether you're here or, or whether you're in one of our overflow spaces, just real quick, like do a quick little, you know, view around you right now. Do you know everything that you see right here, right now in this moment, it was all a dream. It started as a dream that a handful of us had to say, what, what, what if, what if, what if God might use us? What if God might move through us. It didn't, we, like, we didn't send out like an Evite and say, be a church starting this Sunday. And then everyone came and it was all just here. The chairs were set up. I don't know how it happened. It started as a dream. You think about our partnership and our friendship that we have with Brown Elementary and with Debt Elementary. And as many of you volunteered and served at our back to school bash not too long ago. And you got to see what it looks like to really partner in the city. Do you know that didn't just like, wasn't just an initiative one day in a meeting. You know what we should do? Let's do this. It started as a dream. I remember it was on a New Year's Eve that we had that first dream. What if, what if God might like use a church to partner and participate with what he's doing in the city through local schools? It started as a dream. This last weekend, if you were at Church of the Beach, you saw one Sunday, 58 people get baptized. Do you know that so far up to this point in the year, eight months into the year, we've seen 131 people be baptized in this church? That's pretty amazing. And that wasn't because we were like, all right, well, here's the sign-up sheet. Just go ahead and sign up. That started as a dream that God actually might want to transform people's life with his incredible love and grace. As we look to what's coming on the land next door, and Jeannie already mentioned that, our transformation center and all that we want to see God do in and through this church in this city and well beyond, it started as a dream. It always starts as a dream. And so the question I want you to consider as you think of your own life and we're at this pause in the life of Joseph is, do you believe that God still speaks like that today? Do you believe that God, okay, so can you at least get on board with the possibility that God might 
still speak like that today. Again, it's not the only way God speaks, but it is one of the ways that God speaks. Do you believe that God still speaks? So let's push in a little bit further because I think you can nod your head to that and go, sure, I can agree with that conceptually. So let's push in a little bit further. Do you believe that God still speaks to you? Do you really believe it? Do you believe that he wants to speak to you? Do you believe he has something to say to you? To you. That God still speaks to you. And sometimes he does it through images, through visions, through dreams that give us a glimpse of the greater vision of what he has for your life. But you gotta, you gotta wrestle with that first. Do you believe he still speaks to you? And if so, then are you willing to listen? Are you willing to actually pay attention? Are you willing to go back and consider maybe the dreams that God had given you earlier in your life? Some of you, some of you had dreams about quitting your day job and becoming a school teacher and teaching in Chicago's under-resourced schools. Some of you had that dream. And maybe your circumstances distracted you or fear blinded you. What about that dream? Do you believe that God's with you? He was with you when he spoke it to you and he's with you as he's resurrecting that dream right now. Some of you had dreams for your businesses, your companies. You wanted to be a company that was for the love, that was for the good of others. And you had all these dreams that you were going to kind of transform the way that you do work so that you can bless others in the city or around the world. What about that dream? Do you believe God gave that to you? What about that dream? Some of you have had the dream of adopting. You've had the dream of being foster parents in your home. You've talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. Could it be that maybe God gave you that dream? And could it be that maybe it's time for you to open your eyes and start moving into that reality? What do you do? If you knew, if you knew God was with you, what would you do with the dreams that he's given to you? What would you do? For some of us, today is the day. Now is the moment that you need to. The time for dreaming and closing your eyes was wonderful and beautiful. That day is done. It's time for you to open your eyes and actually begin to step into that dream. Now here's, I just want to give a word about that because this is really, really, really important stuff. Because sometimes the dreams that God gives us are for others. They really are for others. It's a thing about your life that's going to be a blessing or a gift to others. And maybe that's a dream that God's even stirring up in you right now. Sometimes though, the dreams and visions God gives you are just for you. They're not meant to be shared with others. You don't have to make a post about that on Facebook. (laughs) It's just for you. I had a guy call me this last week, a good friend, a part of our church. Hey, I think God's given me a dream, a vision for something. I'm not sure. Will you listen to God with me on this? Can we talk this out together? He's trying to discern if this is just for him or for others. Sometimes it's for you. Sometimes it's for others. Listen to me. Sometimes it's for now. Sometimes it's for later. Sometimes it's for right now. Like, yep, I can't make any more excuses. It's, today's the day. I got to do it. Or sometimes it's, okay, God, I see that dream. I hear what you're saying. I don't know how, when, or if that's going to happen, but I'm going to trust you every step of the way. And over the course of time, you'll see God fulfill his part of that dream. Now, from what we can tell from this text, this, these dreams that God had given Joseph seem to me at least to be for him for later, right? It's a thing about him that's going to come to pass later, but he tells his brothers about it now. And again, it doesn't go so well for him. Uh, Joseph was sent out by his father to check up on them. Let's look at verse 18. His father sent him to check up on them one more time. And 
It says this, as he was coming, they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they decided to bless him for his dream and affirm his God-given vision and see how they could be a part of a Kickstarter or some way of supporting. <laughs> that, is that what it says? No, it says they actually plotted to kill him. They plotted to kill him. Verse 19, listen to how cynical and even evil their hearts have become. Here comes that what? Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other, come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns or wells and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Listen to that. Little life lesson here. Not everyone, not everyone is going to be feeling your dreams. Not everyone's going to rush to get behind you. In fact, some people will stand in front of you. Some people will try and talk you out of it. Some people, because of their own fear, insecurity, jealousy, or they just don't see it, they don't get it, and it wasn't for them, aren't going to get behind you. But when people start plotting to kill you for your dreams, it might be time to either shut your mouth or move on to another group of people. This is just a thought I want to add to the text. <laughs> and so here they come to plot to kill him over these dreams and really over their jealousy of him. Verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they now look what they do first. They stripped him of his robe, that symbol of his favoritism, the ornate robe he was wearing. They took him and they threw him into the cistern, which is like a well. And I love the text says this at the end. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So this is kind of like a good news, bad news. Good news, you're not going to drown. Bad news, you're going to fall all the way to the bottom. So he falls all the way to the bottom of this well. It's left there. And the text tells us that they go on to have lunch. His brothers literally, right after throwing their brother into the well, sit down and have a union lunch break together. <laughs> and while their brother was lying there wounded in the well, they just sat right next to him. And I have a question for you in this particular moment. Was God with Joseph at the bottom of that well? Was God really with him though? But was he really with him? Was God with Joseph when his brothers plotted to betray him and to kill him? Was God with him then? Was God with Joseph in this moment when his dreams turned into a nightmare? Do you believe? Do you believe that God was actually with him? Was he really with him? Well, things kind of go from really, really bad to really, really worse. And over lunch, Joseph's brothers discussed their plan and decided that killing him might be a bit much. And it's honestly not something you really want to do after a meal. You should at least wait 15 minutes or you're going to cramp up. So they decide not to kill him. They see a caravan of traders coming and they decide to sell their brother into slavery. So again, good news. They downgraded from first degree murder, but then they kind of went into human trafficking and sold their brother over the course of a time it took to finish a sandwich. Verse 28. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern, out of that well, and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites, who took him to where? To Egypt, thousands of miles away. They sold him, the text says, for 20 shekels, roughly as best we can guess, around $200 in today's currency. That's what the dreamer was worth to them. He was betrayed, he was bartered over and sold out by his brothers, who went on to elaborately stage his death and convince his father that he had been devoured and attacked by a wild animal, but in truth, they were the animals. Joseph was carted off and taken away as a slave thousands of miles from home, where he was eventually, many months later, 
was eventually bought by the head of Pharaoh's palace guard. It's kind of a, a top official in Pharaoh's court. Pharaoh being the most powerful person in the known world at this point. His kind of head of security buys Joseph as a slave and Joseph goes on at that point to live the rest of his life as a slave. And you got to ask yourself, was God with Joseph then? When he was carted away, when he was sold off as a slave, when he was seemingly forgotten by everyone he knew, by a father who loved him, was God with him in that moment? Well, I want you quickly to turn to verse or chapter 39, verse 2, and we're going to close with this little reminder. Chapter 39, verse 2. Jump ahead a little bit, and I'm going to give you a sneak peek of next week's message and where things begin to go for Joseph, but look what the text says, Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was what? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. The Lord was actually with him every step of the way. Do you think it felt like God was with him every step of the way? Do you think Joseph's like, this is awesome. Only in falling into a well of things. Glory be to God. Do you think like that's how it must have felt for him? No. But the text tells us and reminds us the truth of what is true of Joseph's story, his highs, his lows, and it's true of your story and mine, that God is actually with you. Do you believe that the same God that was with Joseph then is with you now? Is with you today? Through your own highs and lows? Through your own dreams and nightmares? Do you believe that God is actually with you? Through your great days, through your bad weeks, through the countless breaths that you take for granted to the diagnosis that you can't ignore? Do you believe that no matter what your circumstances are, God is actually with you? Through the job that you love or the job that you hate or the job that you just can't seem to land, do you believe that God is actually with you? That he is with you through it all? Do you believe that? Today, September 11th, it marks the 15th anniversary of one of the darkest days in our country's history. A moment where we watched evil literally come crashing into our everyday lives. And there's a lot of folks, myself included, on this day 15 years ago, that asked the question, where is God? Where is God? Is God with us when we suffer? Is God with us when we have to look injustice in the face? Is God with us when it feels like we're all alone? We were a country of people asking a very spiritual question. Is God with us? Tomorrow marks September 12th, and 12 years ago tomorrow marks the day when uh, Jeannie's dad died quite suddenly and unexpectedly of heart failure. And I had to be the one to tell her that her father had died. And you better believe these weren't kind of metaphorical, theoretical questions. These were gut-level questions. God, where are you? God, where are you? Are you with me in this loss? Will you be with my wife as she has to face the loss of her father? Will you be with her mother as she has to face the loss of her husband? God, will you be with us as we walk through an indescribable grief? 
And many of you know a little bit of what that's like. You've lost someone you love, and you've asked the very same question, haven't you? Where are you, God? Are you with me? Are you with me? And I didn't have all the clarity in the world while it was happening, but I can look back now on that day 12 years ago and say, man, God, you were there. You were there. You held us together. You carried us through. It's not what I would have chosen. Do you think any of this is what Joseph would have chosen? But God, I can look back now through the rearview mirror of faith and see and say, you were there, God. You held me together. You brought us through. And I'm here today because you were with me then. And you're here today because he's been with you every single step of the way. So what would you do if you knew, if you knew, if you knew God was with you? I love the way that Richard Rohr puts it. I love the way that he says it. He says this, we can't, we can't attain the presence of God. You know, like, oh, I just, I don't know, God, I hope you're with me. God be with me, God be with me, you know. We can't attain the presence of God because we're already totally in the presence of God. There's not a place you can go, not a circumstance you can face, not a season you walk through that is absent of the presence and the power of God. What is absent, Roar says, is awareness. What's absent is awareness. Little do we realize that God is maintaining us in existence with every breath we take. So that every time you take another breath, you realize that God is choosing you again and again and yet again. There's nowhere you can go to escape the loving presence of God. And so the question is, is will you remember? Will you remember? Will you remember? And so I want to offer a little prayer, a simple prayer that any one of us can pray this week, no matter what circumstances we face, the highs, the lows, the dreams, the nightmares, the things that we thought, you know, we planned and then the things that turn out like we wouldn't have planned. It's called a breath prayer. It's the shortest, easiest prayer you'll ever pray. And you pray as you inhale and you pray as you exhale. And here's the little prayer. It's four words. God is, you say that as you inhale, God is with me. And when you face whatever it is, I, I, I couldn't possibly predict whatever it is you're going to face this week. But whatever it is that you face, that life brings, you have the power of that awareness, that reminder in that moment. God is with me. And even just that breath itself is reminder, is evidence enough that he's with you and he's for you. And he'll carry you through. He will carry you through. And we're going to see how God does that in the life of Joseph over the next couple of weeks. But what we want to do right now is just pause and, and be reminded of the goodness of God made available to us. Be reminded of the sacrifice that God made so that we could be with him. What we're going to do over the next few moments is receive communion together something we do together as a church. It's a way of reminding us of Jesus, who one of the names that was given to him is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so Jesus, at one of his darkest, most difficult hours, gathered his followers together, and he said, I don't ever want you to forget 
that I came to be with you and that I'm giving my life for you. And so he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is to be a reminder of my body broken for you. I came to be with you and my body was given up for you. And then he, he took the cup and he said, I want you to think about this cup like my blood. It's a symbol of my blood. It's the price that was paid for the totality of depravity of all of humanity. The sin debt had to be paid somehow. And so he said, I will do it for you. And so what we want to do is we want to pass these elements. We want you to receive these elements and just hold them for a moment, if you would. Hold the cup, hold the bread as a reminder of God with you and God for you through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus. And in a moment, I'll come back and lead us through taking these elements together.